Hi, you've joined us for the Conscious Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Ferenga. On this podcast, I interview leaders who stand out from the crowd. They're doing something progressive or more radical with the way they lead their people. So much so, you stop in your tracks. This month, I'm excited to bring you Kieran Dunn, who runs Genie Ventures. It's an award-winning tech and e-commerce business of 70 people. Kieran is well known in Cambridge for being a top employer, and I really loved going to visit him there and discover how he really built up a startup mentality in a medium-sized business. I started by asking him how he got to where he is now. So in terms of work, so I'm, I'm one of these people who did a thousand different jobs. I did lots of, um, I worked in McDonald's and I worked in Subway and I worked on fruit farms and I cleaned floors and worked in factories and all sorts of things. My first proper job, I was employed by a guy called David Sharp in Cambridge at a company that's still going, it's called International Workplace. And he showed a huge amount of faith in me and made me a director of the business at, I think I was 21. There were, uh-huh. there were only two of us, so that sounds more, uh, it sounds more glamorous than it was. But I worked for Dave for about five years and he taught me a huge amount. So he's still one of my heroes, taught me essentially all about running a business, but with it not being my business. Um, I left there after about five years to start my own business, which was going to be supplying content for people's websites. So I had this idea, this would have been 2004, I think, had this idea that all these businesses had paid a lot of money for very expensive, but crap websites. And I was gonna charge them to keep the websites up to date. I quickly realized that um, although I was quite good at talking and selling, I knew nothing about the technology and I tried a bit of coding and couldn't do it. So I managed to persuade my friend Paul, who's very, very, very clever to to come and join me. So we ended up setting up that business together. And that quickly evolved into generally building web apps for people and doing things like SEO and PPC. And then that business kind of imperceptibly merged with another business that had been started with a friend of mine, started by a friend of mine rather, called Phil, who'd started a site called Broadband Genie, which we still run to this day. So we put those together in about 2008 to create Genie Ventures, which was still going as now. So Genie now, so I'm the MD of Genie, the owner MD of Genie. Um, we're a 70 person e-commerce technology business, I would describe us as. We do various things. We run price comparison websites and we also run managed services for retailers. And aside from that, um, it's my 43rd birthday tomorrow. I'm a single dad of three. Um, I'm in a really good relationship and I live in Cambridge and I support Coventry City who are the newly crowned <laughs> we won't hold that against League you. One champions. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So you've been through quite a few iterations of business before you got to this. Yeah, I was brought up in a very businessy background. Mm. Um, I'm one of five. My my mum and my dad are both big influences on my lives in, in different ways. They both come from very interesting backgrounds. My dad was a, a an Irish Brummy orphan who didn't have a home until he was 19 or 20, was just sort of passed around the Irish community. My mum comes from, I guess, what you describe as a very traditional working class background in Stoke-on-Trent, where everyone um, worked in the potteries. But they both ended up running businesses. So my mum my mum was a teacher, but then ran uh, lingerie shops in Kenilworth on the edge of Coventry. My dad had a burglar alarm factory in mm. Redditch, amongst a few other things. So we were, our home was always, everyone was talking about business. My older brother started his own business. So I was brought up in a very kind of, in the kind of family where they were always talking about that kind of stuff. And I think that's probably quite unusual. 
So I think for me, it always seemed like something I wanted to do in a way that probably I don't appreciate other people probably don't. So when other people do set up businesses, it might be more of a leap into the unknown. Whereas for me, it seemed like the most natural thing in the world. And I remember like my elder brother, Justin, I was walking to a football match within one day. I like this story. I think I was 16 and he, he must have been in his mid-20s or something. And he just quit a job, a pretty good job as a regional sales manager in Birmingham to start up his own business. And I, I, I knew he was earning quite a bit of money. And I said to him, why did you quit the job? And he looked at me, this is on some back street of Birmingham somewhere, he looked at me and said, because I'm fed up of working for dickheads. <laughs> and I kind of, that really stuck with me. You've all had a few of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So that kind of drive to, to run your own show. Yeah, that's right, exactly. It was, mm. it was what I always wanted to do. Mm. It's one of the most glamorous of ambitions, is it? But yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, that kind of autonomy comes up a lot um, in this kind of, on this podcast and, and people kind of wanting uh, their own drive, not just for themselves, but for their employees as well, that kind of ownership. And and kind of and running Genie Ventures now um, and all the other Genie companies that I'm probably going to not mention correctly, so you have to prompt <laughs> me. But um, so how how has your kind of leadership style evolved? Do you have like a, a philosophy when it comes to the way you lead others? Um, I'm sure I do, um, and I'm sure it has evolved an awful lot. So I'll try and think on my feet a bit with this. And I mean, in terms of leadership. Um, there's an awful lot of talk quite rightly about the inputs into leadership. I tend to always naturally think of it as an outcome. So I tend to think of leadership mm. as being if people will follow you, then then that's what leadership is about. I think on the input side, there are certain things that I have that I tend to think about that I've I guess I've focused on over the years that are important to me, maybe I should say, which seem to have worked. Whether they'll carry on working, I don't know. And they do change as you get a bigger company, so I can come on to that as well. Um, I think one thing that's really important to me is to lead by example. So um, I've always I've always wanted to be the person who, who gets up first, who works hardest. And I don't mean necessarily works hardest in terms of number of hours. I mean, if we're clearing the car park outside of rubbish because we've got a customer coming, I want to be I want to be leading that. I want to be and I never want to be asking people to do anything that I wouldn't do. So that's an important element of leadership to me. Um, in terms of the the style, I think personally, I think it's incredibly important to take pressure off people. And I think you know, it all depends on who you hire, doesn't it? The worst kind of people and managers are are those who manage by putting pressure onto people. They think that's going to get a result. If I put pressure on this person, they're going to get a result for me. For me, it's all about giving people clear parameters and goals, or at least agreeing clear parameters and goals. And then people will do, you know, will do their best. And that's all you can ask really, isn't it? And they'll get satisfaction from it and they'll get meaning from it. And stuff doesn't always work out, but it's a much more um, positive, collaborative experience, I find, than trying to put pressure on people. And pressure as well, you know, if business performance is down, if customers are being assholes, whatever it is, then see it as my job to take those things on my shoulders where possible so that other people don't have to. Mm. I was going to ask you whether you feel that pressure, whether when customers with clients or maybe things are getting really uncertain, unpredictable, maybe they are right now, I don't know, um, or have been in the past, um, Yeah, w- whether that affects you particularly and, and how you kind of 
shoulder it, it sounds like, rather than pass it on. I don't think it affects me as much as it should do. <laughs> I'm always surprised that it doesn't affect me more. Um, I think one of the, this is coming on a bit to personal values, one of the things I think that I've learned to do well is to understand what's important in life. And we all need reminding of that sometimes, don't we? But I think I naturally do it quite well, or at least I naturally do it quite well these days. Um, so if I can fall back on another personal story, we all have personal stories, don't we? My, like I mentioned before, like my parents, all, all my brothers and sisters are inspirational to me in different ways. My elder sister, Kirsty, was severely disabled when she was younger and she passed away when she was 27. And I remember, so it's, you know, so I was 25 at the time, I think. And I remember at the time thinking, I mean, I'm not the only person who's been through this, obviously, but I remember at the time thinking, um, nothing's ever going to feel as bad as this. And I've I've carried that thought with me. So when, you know, when, when stuff's hard, you know, I've been through a fairly bad divorce and I've been through lots and lots and lots of situations at work where you think your world is crumbling down. But I think to have that kind of anchor that you come back to and you think, Actually, it's not as bad as that, is it? It just doesn't really matter as much as it feels like it matters right now. I think that that stands you in good stead. I think if you can show that in your leadership, I think people will be encouraged by that and will will behave like that as well, or at least will feel like they're allowed to behave like that as well. And I do think that Genie is an extremely resilient company. Um, I think, I mean, the, the recent COVID environment is a good example of that, but there's been numerous examples before. We tend to We tend to be at the mercy of things like Google algorithm changes and obviously large on, on the managed services side, large customers coming and going. And when that happens, there is a real tendency, well, tendency is the wrong word. Naturally, people involved will feel, you know, will feel down, won't they? They'll feel upset because a client's chosen to leave and they think that reflects badly on them or we think that reflects badly on us or, or you know, what looked like a really promising business area suddenly comes crashing down because Google and their wisdom tweak something in their algorithm or, you know, punish us deliberately for, for doing something wrong. Um, and I think we've developed a culture where people, are, you know, they, they, we wallow in it, dust ourselves down and, and, and get on with it and be opportunistic and entrepreneurial and build the next thing. So I, I think, I can't remember where I started on this, but that's that, that value of, of resilience and kind of remembering what's important, I think is probably what allows me to appear to take the pressure on my shoulders so other people don't have to but I'm I'm probably not really taking on my shoulders I'm probably just I'm probably just it's probably just sliding off somewhere maybe it'll come back to haunt me one day Mm, well it sounds nice that um that I guess that compared to some of the tough times you have had or particularly with your sister that 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 in a way everything else pales in comparison yeah and that's true for everyone isn't it I've had I by comparison of most people on this world i've had an incredibly unchallenging life but even with the stuff that i've been through yeah there's enough there isn't there to to remind you what's important but i think we just have to remember that and you know bear that in mind in a day-to-day sense rather than it just be something that's incredibly vivid at the time but then we get overcome by our day-to-day problems because we all have challenges don't we Mm. and i wondered it's interesting you said that that genie is very resilient company and that there's quite a culture of that and about the fact that you also said oh we wallow in it then we pick ourselves up and move on to the next thing and um and I wondered with potentially and correct me if I'm wrong but I imagine you do have quite a lot of young staff um and uh sometimes they get a bit of a bad press for for being um, emotional or cotton-wooled or 
And I wonder whether you hire for that resilience or whether you cultivate it. Um, we can talk a bit more about hiring as well later, but it that sounds really interesting. And I wonder how much people um, grow that capacity within you or whether you want to see that kind of initially when you bring them on board. There's quite a few questions there, aren't there? Yeah. I'm going to answer about three of them and then if there are any more. Firstly, on the on the general perception of young people, as in, you know, the way we might talk about millennials in the pub. It's not what we see. What we see is millennials and Gen Z, just being people who are very highly motivated, very interested in self-development and self-improvement and very interested in the world at large in a way that I don't think my generation probably was. So um, I think one thing we've tried to do at Genie is to embrace sometimes the American way of looking at the world, which is that it's okay to improve yourself. Self-development. I know generally now that is that is more common in the UK. So I, I, I don't, you know, I'll call out a few people from work as we go along. But the, um, Luca, who runs the the agency side of our business, he's been a big influence on my life. is a is a an MMA fighter and is a kind of motivational speaker and a great guy to be around. I think he brought a lot of that to us. That sense of it's okay to read self help books and to try and improve yourself and so on and so on. And I think, to, yeah, to, to me that was something I had to learn. I think I would have been quite British until I met Luca and just thought that stuff was ridiculous American nonsense generalizing. But I think probably that is what I thought. Whereas I do find that people coming through our, you know, when we hire people now in their early 20s, they just naturally, they're happy to do that. They believe that's part of life, um, which I think is a good thing. I'm sure there are other examples of people that age who aren't like that, but, but that's what we see. In terms of, in terms of hiring for resilience, what we do tend to do is ask well let me go back so we hire on personal attributes and behaviors we try and stay away from the word values because i think that has connotations and we what try connotations and, those? values to me i mean i may not be getting this right but I, I might think of religious values or political values which i'm not interested in or interested in other way people behave and having that core set of attributes um has been way more important than experience or knowledge because people can acquire experience and knowledge fairly easily and fairly cheaply. But acquiring good attributes, or when I say good attributes and behaviours, attributes and behaviours that work well at Genie is, is not cheap. You know, that that's that's probably very difficult for someone who isn't already showing those attributes. Um, but if I think in terms of resilience, a, a question that we would ask everyone, maybe I'll ask you this question, Ruth. Mm. The question we'd ask everyone in the interview process is what's the worst job you've ever done? Mine would be a print factory when I was um, feeding, um, it was a, a university break job and I was feeding magazines into a machine right? And or stacking them on a pallet. Why was that the worst job? Um, mainly because of the demeaning nature of the supervisors. Oh, right. Slight uh, mini amount of sexual harassment as well thrown in. Um, yeah, really bad, but did it for six weeks cried every night and then got out <laughs> well that's a that's a heavy answer and, yeah, yeah and when you look back at that now yeah are you would you have done something different are you glad that you did it um my dad called it character building um but I'm glad I did it in the sense that I think it brought me down to earth he was like this is why you're getting a university education Ruth so um so yeah I definitely learned something I learned to stand up for myself as well and tell people to like back off so and I didn't give up after two weeks. I gave up after six weeks in a summer holiday. So that felt yeah. 
so that's the sort of that's the sort you were pleased to know that's the sort of answer we would like so do we, i get the job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely yeah. we um we look we like people who have got experience um in in that kind of environment and that might be yeah, a print factory it might be it might be pizza express it might be a shop but people who haven't just gone to university and got a degree but people have put themselves in a situation where they're doing a crappy job and they're having to deal with the public and again what we like is people who didn't just do that and leave after two weeks people who said yeah it was hard work i'm, I'm not suggesting you should be thinking this latter bit people who think that was hard work but actually i really enjoyed it because although I was doing this crappy work, I really liked the environment. It gave me the chance to meet different people that I wouldn't have met at university or whatever. So we started this by talking about resilience. I think the reason that we like people like that is we tend to think they're going to be able to show a really good attitude when our backs are against the wall or when I ask everyone to go and clean the car park with me because we've got an important customer coming. I don't really want... Well, honestly, I don't really want... We we. 100% don't want people at Genie who would say that's not my job or I'm too important for that. And I think those kind of behaviours, um, they all build towards resilience, don't they? And as an example of resilience, again, just to talk about, I feel bad talking about individuals in the company because there's so many and I can't mention everyone. Um, a guy called Joe who leads the Broadband Genie team, he's been with us since day one pretty much. I forget if he's employee number one or employee number two. Um, but, you know, he's very young when he joined us um, and he has led the Broadband Genie team through some really hard times. <laughs> they've had some great times as well, but they've had some terrible times and they've been on the end of, I mentioned them before, like Google algorithm changes and so on. And what he's done really well, particularly, I think, in recent memories when that stuff has happened is he's got the team around the table and he's given them that chance to just be really pissed off, you know, which is which is an important step. These things are steps, right? And if you look at sport, I think football teams can be a good example of this. The fact they allow themselves to shout at each other, but the expectation is that after shouting at each other, they'll shake hands. Obviously, they won't be shaking hands now, but they'll shake hands and they'll be on the same team. So I think a lot of what you're doing as a leader or anyone really creating a culture is you're giving people permission to do those things. You're giving people permission to be resilient. It's a space to have a variety of emotions as well around yeah. loss of client or frustration. Yeah, you've got to. That's quite you? interesting what you said before about allowing some space for a bit of wallowing before we pick ourselves up. And yeah, and I don't know if wallowing is the right word, but it's that sense, isn't it, of the ultimate outcome. If a mm. client leaves or if something isn't going right, it, the ultimate outcome is everyone is going to be positive and we're going to do the next thing in front of us. But to get to that point, we can't just get straight there, can we? We can't just say, right, it doesn't matter. Glad they've gone. We have to say, you know, bollocks, mm. damn it, you know, punch a wall or something and just have that conversation and then move on. Otherwise, you're not going through the stages and it just gets bottled up about thing. And that's, I think that's, a, you know, that's the sort of behaviour that encourages resilience, Mm. I believe, yeah. It's a good example. And, and like a lot of things, there's nothing to do with me. That's the approach that that individual or that team took. And I was on the sidelines watching that thinking, oh, that's a good idea. I'll, I'll borrow that next time I'm in that situation. Mm. That's nice. And you talked about, I remember previously we talked about um, the way you train each other here at Genie. And I thought this was particularly interesting. And you also talked about um, Luca bringing this culture of, of self-improvement and slightly maybe American but also embraced by young people more that we are continuously improving so I wondered if you could say a bit about 
how you do support each other's development or self-development in that way. Yeah, sure. Um, I think we're probably talking about what we grandly call the Genie Academy approach. So this was very much born out of necessity. This was when we were smaller and we were hiring at a good rate and we couldn't afford to hire people who already knew what they were doing in terms of digital marketing. And actually, we were better off hiring people who wanted to learn that skill anyway, I think, at that time. Um, So we were bringing people in either at graduate level or maybe after their first job or sometimes straight out of school. And there was no way you could really go and get good training externally. So we just built this, this framework called the Genie Academy, which is where we asked everyone to to list what they wanted to train people in as much as anything. And some of that is fairly direct on the job stuff. So if you work in paid search, you need to become a, a real, you know, you need to develop mastery of the Google advertising platforms and so on. But it also extends out to, you know, we had the finance team teaching people about profit and loss and balance sheets and cash flows. And we have people to, again, talking to, to graduates and, and new new members of staff about selling, about mind coaching or using Excel, um, usability, history of search, wh- whatever it is. Um, and that, that, that's that been really crucial to our growth, I think, because it was actually a real attraction, I think, to sometimes as to why people were choosing to join us as opposed to other companies. They really like the idea of coming in and having, I think it's up to about 90 hours of training in the first six mm, months wow. from your peers. That's huge. Yeah. It's a lot of time and effort. In fact, I think well, yeah, people often um, drown in it a little bit. It's almost too much because you know there's just they come thick and fast in your first three to six months. But the idea is that you develop sort of three sixty individuals, you know, so they train them on the job, but also the stuff that they are not going to need to know in those first two to three months, but will stand them in good stead. And I think some of that personally for me is probably thinking back to my experience. And I think that I got some really lucky breaks in terms of the jobs I did and what I learnt. And I think that is a way of trying to come up with a structural approach to those lucky breaks. Some people will go into a finance session about P&L and just think, what the fuck am I doing now? I'm not interested in this. And that's fine. But other people who might never have considered that stuff might come out finding that quite interesting. And obviously, as you progress your career in whatever direction it's in or, or not, if you go down the sort of leadership, project leadership type, where you are likely at some point to be responsible for things like P&Ls and and maybe some people go and start their own businesses and so on it gives them a head start mm. so i just yeah to us that feels like a real i felt like a really effective way forward and also just giving people the chance to train each other as well is a way of reinforcing knowledge isn't it mm. so, so how does big. that practically play out then so you've been at genie a little while you've got some skills and and then you want to develop a module in something and you put that forward how does that practically yeah play in, out or in, do you have a skills <laughs> audit at the beginning and say what do we need here and in theory, I think you're asking me that question is realised that we we don't do that bit so well. I think we set it up really well and people do um, evolve and develop modules, but we're probably not great at keeping asking the question, what what's new? What do we need to be adding to this? We try, we've tried over the last couple of years to make a bit of a transition to more of an e-learning approach as well. That Again, we haven't done very successfully, but I think that the current change in working arrangements will give us the kick up the backside to move to... To that approach so we maybe video more sessions develop more um put more content on on learning platforms and so on so we've as i said general shift towards that but we haven't really got there yet so we've still got a long way to go mm. but it sounds like there's a culture of teaching and learning and 
And if I guess if you're a young person coming to the company, you might think, oh, maybe eventually this could be my specialism that I offer to out to the company or something like that. Yeah, I'd like to think that. And people certainly say that. I mean, we, we have one of our kind of core behaviours that, that is in everyone's appraisal is to demonstrate that, that people are taking responsibility for their own learning. So obviously the, a company like Genie can train an individual, but what supercharges it is someone actually being curious and interested and going and taking responsibility for their own learning. There's no point in sitting there waiting to be developed. In fact, one of the most um, annoying questions I generally find from, from people is, what's happening with my personal development? And I always want to say, I don't know, what is happening with your personal development? What, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? What are you, you know, doing? Take, mm. take responsibility. It, we we have a big responsibility as a company to to develop individuals, but I think all we can really do is sort of on the job training, and try and give people a framework and permission, and, and time I guess yeah and time yeah to go and to go and follow their nose and solve problems, and bring stuff to the business from outside because actually one of the downsides of doing a lot of internal training is I think you can develop, and we've definitely had this in the past, you can develop a bit of an internal dependency on that and a slightly closed mind that you think you can learn everything you need to know in these walls because we have people who are very strong at all the disciplines that we need. Whereas actually, particularly, I mean, I'm sure this is true of any industry, but e-commerce always feels like it's it's changing so quickly that we need people constantly looking at what else is going on. Mm. So when we talk about this at staff meetings and so on, I would the way I would express it is to, you know, if we've got 60 or 70 people who are all going away and bringing new things to the business, then that sounds a lot more powerful than a handful of senior managers at the top mm. all saying, this is what this is what we're going to do next. Mm. So it's a harnessing the creativity and the problem solving skills of the whole, the whole of the team. Mm. And tell me about a staff meeting here, because I get this impression that it's quite egalitarian you want people to pick pick up stuff and run with it um how does that play out in a team meeting or a you know whether it be the leadership team or a wider away i don't know if you do away days but um how that how do you how do you manage that because potentially i guess you could have so many opinions pulling in different directions how do you balance the creativity opportunity with kind of structure and planning and um, right okay so this the general stuff meeting question so we we have monthly staff all staff meetings and now since the start of COVID we also have weekly mini ones so we have a weekly call a weekly video call that everyone's on where me or someone else just gives a general overview of what what's happening that week what what trading's like um any big announcements particularly obviously in relation to what's been going on but and that, that's nice. That works actually really well remotely. That works better remotely than it would do in an office. Much better because people don't all have to gather around. Everyone just you know tunes in for twenty minutes. The but the typical staff meeting, which would be in the office, um, is really a big transparent splurge of everything that's going on. So we take everyone through the the figures from the month before. We get all the, the sort of leaders of the various teams and anyone working on any particular important projects and the finance and the HR teams and so on to, to just talk through everything. So everyone has a really good update and that sense of togetherness in one place. But that's not obviously really particularly useful from a decision-making point of view. That's just useful from a transparency and keeping everyone together. And we all really like that. You know, I like that because I'm, I get the chance to stand there and talk to everyone and see everyone's faces um, and, and, 
individuals and teams seem to really like that based on the feedback that we get, like the transparent approach. In terms of decision-making, when you're trying to harness the creativity of lots of people, we use some fairly precise methods for doing that. So we try and have a structure at Genie of self-contained, self-empowered teams who can sometimes set their own goals or set the goals in conjunction with, say, me or someone else, but then drive forward towards those goals and solve problems on their own as much as possible to reduce the bottlenecks and the dependency on any one individual. In terms of things like setting the goals, we will use um, particular frameworks and processes often around OKRs. I don't know if you've come across OKRs, Ruth. No? No. No. Allow me to evangelise about OKRs (laughs) for a minute. I mean, they're relatively common now these days, but when we started using them in 2014, they weren't that well known in the UK. It's a very American Silicon Valley goal setting framework. It stands for objectives and key results. It's actually from Intel, where I believe you have Mm. background. I I think they invented OKRs. They sound really dull, but they're not. It's simply a way of expressing a goal on the back of an envelope so you, you you state what the goal is and how you're going to measure it so you might say well the goal is to successfully launch this product and we're going to measure it by whether it's got 10,000 users and then everything else feeds into that goal but in terms of how you decide what you're going to do to meet that goal there are some fairly good processes that you can follow either out of OKR sort of thinking workshops and so on formats that people have come up with or, I mean, there's a there's a great Google-related book called, which is about Google Strategic Sprints, which is a five-day strategic planning process that you follow, which has all sorts of useful exercises in it. But the idea is that you are, you are, you have a group of people, maybe seven or eight people being optimal, and you go through a particular process, mm-hmm. and you have you give everyone the opportunity to talk, and you get all the ideas out of people's head. A lot of these processes are very anti-brainstorming. So it's not about sitting there having a big chat where whoever's the loudest or the most dominant gets to talk the most. A lot of it is writing things down on post-it notes, sticking things on wall, voting for things, and then having the concepts of the the decision maker, ultimately the person who's going to make the decision, take all that on board and deciding what the thing is you're going to do and what the problem is you're going to solve. So these processes tend to work really well. So we we do quite deliberately and intentionally try and harness everyone, but keep it very directional keep it so there's always an output there's always a way forward we started doing this actually um this is brilliant it's one of my my favorite things i've ever been involved with i think at work probably about five or six years ago when uh, me and paul who i mentioned earlier who started the business with originally who's our tech director and luca who runs the genie goals agency were trying to decide what the long-term strategy for genie goals should be and i think i said entirely jokingly what we need to do is go and sit on a mountain and so Luca who's mental decided to go and book an Airbnb on the side of a mountain at Lake Homo where he's from this incredible Airbnb with these huge windows looking right down over the lake and so I bought this book um, this Google Ventures strategic sprints book and we followed this strategic sprint and we had post-it notes all over this window and we had if you can imagine this incredible view of the lake and we're using the window as a whiteboard, so we're scribbling all over this window with markers and we're sticking post-it notes everywhere. And we followed this process, and it was incredible. Um, and we came out of it with an incredibly clear mission, an incredibly clear um, roadmap of how we were going to get there, or at least um, 
a sort of provisional roadmap how we're going to get there. We came out with clear key results, and a real strong sense of focus and direction. And I think there is there's some really good stuff out there that, that help businesses to bring together to sort of to harness the creativity and turn it into a way forward that allows everyone to feel like they have contributed and means that the people who have contributed we all feel like we understand the decision that's been made even if it's not the decision we would have made that sense a bit like we talked before actually about going through the steps so even if we would all have done have chosen a different thing we understand that we had our chance to talk that we did talk that we contributed and this is the decision that's been made and this is now what we're going to do there's a nice concept at Amazon in their leadership behaviour is called disagree and commit have backbone oh, we used to use that at Intel too actually yeah <laughs> which isn't quite yeah. the same thing but, but it is useful to have that it is it's it's again it's about the steps isn't it it's mm. about understanding that the, uh, the outcome is we're all going to be on the same side we're going to move forward but we're going to have that step where we all get to say what's important to us and air those stuff yeah and it may, makes me think of um, I don't know if you've heard of Nancy Klein and Time to Think I feel like I have, but go on, expand. Well, she, uh, I'm a massive fan of her work, but it's all about listening and being able to give everybody in your company the chance to to speak. So you might do a format where everyone gets up to three minutes um, to say something about a project or a problem or whatever it is. Even, you know, if they don't usually want to share anything or they're not usually that type of person, whatever it is, you still give them the space. And I like what you said about these kind of, um, semi-autonomous team so kind of decentralized structure which I guess I'm hearing more trends towards in general who are making sure everybody gets the chance to air their opinion and then there is a process through which those ideas can be pulled um, and I guess holding the goal loosely but then having a process that will help you get there that is fair I guess but also most likely to bring out the best in people yeah that's right that everyone understands and the, actually the concepts around team structure are interesting as well so we we made the transition probably three or four years ago from being built around i think what you call functional teams so we might have a, a ppc team an seo team maybe a dev team and so on we're running across three or four different brands to switching that around so we have what we call product teams, although I think more correctly they're called mission-based teams, which is so it's a multidisciplinary team working on one thing. So instead of a PPC team, SEO team, dev team, you have a product team like the Broadband Genie team or the Genie Shopping team, which has you know, a marketing person, a salesperson, a designer, a developer. And so you have those mixture of skills and you can address challenges and solve problems and and follow opportunities. Mm. So the, the advantage of, of that kind of structure is pace. The disadvantage is probably, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but excellence. So if you are in a, if you're a developer in a pure development environment, surrounded by the developers, you're probably going to be able to really focus on your development skills. But if you're put in a, a mission-based, a mission-oriented team, then you're expected to do other things. You're expected to be part of the problem-solving, part of the the, the business solutions, you know, talking to the salesperson, talking to the marketing person. So you may be, and, and also you, you don't, you maybe don't have the people around you to talk about, about code all day. 
but but what what we get as a company is you get pace you get a group of people who can not only make a decision but they can implement the decision if that group decides they need a new form on the website to do something or other then they can build it and do it they don't have to rather than it being a marketing person says i want this form Mm. and then it goes to a development team and they say yeah can't do that doesn't it very important to us we'll put it somewhere down the list so this is this kind of startup mentality within genies which is you know 70 people it's not a startup but yet you've talked about that in the past that that there there is a mentality of kind of of we have this new opportunity and now we're going to form a a small agile team and we're going to run with it and we're going to make all the decisions and get it done yeah i think that's the dream isn't it because you tend to hear people like me who have come from a background where they were a very small business to being a slightly bigger business whinging about how everything was much quicker when we were much smaller um you know if there's just three or four of you working on something and you've all got a very strong commitment and motivation then you you know startups can do things very quickly and because they can make decisions very quickly and they can execute those decisions themselves so i think yes you're absolutely right what we've tried to do with the the mission the product teams is to recreate that way of doing things so you're empowering people to be able to make the decisions and execute the decisions. And yeah, agile and the sort of rollout of agile methods, the sort of formal agile methods at Genius made a big difference to that as well. Mm. And you said something about before about you being not a visionary leader, but a directional leader. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so this, this, this is, I don't know whether this is just me trying to justify myself. This is my internal narrative. What we've got at Genie, we've got we've got several different brands. Um, so for, we've mentioned a couple of them: Broadband Genie, Broadband Comparison website, Genie Shopping, which is retail price comparison, Genie Goals, which is agency and managed services for retailers in digital marketing. Um, and we, hang on a sec, I've lost my train of thought. Remind me the question about the directional leadership. The directional leadership. Yeah. So each of those individual brands might have might have quite a clear goal or mission, but people often ask me. Well, where are you going? Where's Where's Genie Ventures going to be? And I've traditionally just sat there and shrugged and said, I don't know. I don't know. I think what's occurred to me over the years is that doesn't really matter, or at least it doesn't matter to me. Uh, the, the thing that's really important to me is is directional. So that's the thing that's important to me is that we're moving forwards. And the way that I like to think about that is if you look at the trading history of Genie, it's a graph with a line with lots of uppy downy bits on it some of them fairly spectacular but if you look at it from a high enough level it's going up so what i imagine is if you if you zoom out from that and that's just the bottom left hand corner and there's an awful lot more going up and when we look back in the future at where we are now we'll just look at that as the start so it's that up and to the right direction that's important to me rather than the actual destination now i think if you've got a destination, that's fabulous. But I think to me, business has never really been about the destination. It's been about the progress and the growth and the getting somewhere. And it did take me a long time to realize that that I think that's just as powerful as having a particular mission. Mission? Somewhere between a mission and a vision. A mission. I think, you know, really clear missions have their place but there's also a potential downside that people can get hung up on them so you know this 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 was my vision and and we're going to stick to this even though it's now transparently a terrible idea 
whereas if you can be a bit more directional in your approach and you say well actually the goal here is is to grow then i think that has a lot of power in its own right it depends what you're doing doesn't it mm. but but in and in a way i guess that is your mission i'm wondering um or um it sounds quite visionary maybe you don't want it to be but it's it it sounds to me like the vision if we need to call it that maybe we don't um is is growth is opportunity is is but through a process of more of a startup mentality that picks up stuff and runs with it rather than needing to be boxed in a particular part of of business or because i've seen and you know if we have more time we could go into it more but you know you've invested or uh, or taken on startup companies haven't you to help them grow in coffee and other areas i guess you've seen opportunities and just been like yeah let's do it yeah we have we're very we're very opportunistic historically yeah so we we have been willing to try new things and do new things and what does that give you do you think because it doesn't it is fairly unique to be pulling at different things i don't know what they get you know it's a funny thing actually ruth because because we've, we've been advised quite often in the past to stop doing that. You know, it's very conventional and probably correct wisdom that you should focus on one thing and do that really well. But for whatever reason, we can't resist doing other things. And I, I think partly that's, it's just more interesting. Uh, in a very real sense, it's helped us because I think the volatility of the markets we operate in having more than one thing going on has saved, spread the risk yeah it has mm. really saved the business at times so in retrospect i wouldn't have done it any other way but i wouldn't have done it any other way anyway because it's just been a lot more fun and i can't really think of a better answer than that we're a very we're a very self-indulgent business both in terms of the the way we choose to grow and what we invest in and the way we run the business to try and create this place that we all want to work but we've earned the right to be self-indulgent because it's our money Mm. so we're going to make mistakes we're going to get things wrong but at the end of the day we've made that money so if we want to waste it we can waste it we're not wasting it you know it's no one else's business really mm. <laughs> literally in this case um so yeah I, I think i think it provides an outlet doesn't it? it it gives us the opportunity to to follow interesting leads and interesting business opportunities mm. we, we it can be dangerous because you know I think there's an expectation sometimes internally that that every new idea can be followed and it can't you know we have to be very picky and there are times when we've we've been quite adventurous and there's times when we've we've drawn our necks in a bit but I do love having the opportunity to do that stuff mm, who knows what's around the corner I suppose yeah exactly so what is in this all of this for you so growth people sounds like people in a self-indulgent you know let's make a great place to work type thing what's this about do you want to sell it go and live on a desert island is this just your work do you give back like what what what's the interest for you why why <laughs> the honest answer to that the really honest answer to that is that I, I have no idea um there's an awful lot in the the day-to-day importance of quality of life for me mm. so this 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 kind of sentiment we bandy around about trying to create the best place to, to work is real and it's very personal and it's very very self-indulgent so that's the sense that we want to you know we acknowledge that work is somewhere we spend eight hours a day or whatever it is and that's a big part of our lives 
so why not take that opportunity to create to create it for ourselves again going back to we've talked earlier about what's important in life we all know rationally in this country that we are in the the top few percent of people in the world in terms of luck and quality of life and at genie we're in the top few percent of that few percent you know we're training business we're, we're profitable we're growing we don't have investors so we've we've got that opportunity so we try and take that opportunity and i think part of that is just realizing that we have the opportunity and realizing it's important so there's a big part of that and then in terms of the motivation side of it the word you used there was growth but i remember way back in the day before genie was properly formed when me and paul were, were doing various stuff online we did quite a lot of work for a property developer in the midlands called bartik and uh, uh the md of that a guy called david back always used to say to me keep attacking and that that was one of those you know these things that stick in your mind and i found that really motivational just keep attacking so and I, so i think for me personally that's what i get out of it in terms of where we want to get to in the future I can only refer you to my previous answer. You don't have an idea mm. of that. It might it sounds be that very I, organic, and yeah. I guess that. And I'm quite pleased that you sort of stuck to that because, in a way, that is seems to be what makes you genie is that it's it is organic. It is. It's organic and it's opportunistic, and it's a lot of fun. And we have genuinely created an amazing place to work for all of us. I hope there will be exceptions to that. I'm sure, um, but I think on the whole. People love working at Genie. They love working at Genie, not because necessarily the work they're doing is always the most interesting in the world, but because they really enjoy the people they work with and the general culture of of kind of being progressive and giving ourselves opportunities and trying to, to make a difference in our own small way, I think, to people's quality of life and to the world around us. Hmm. That sounds that sounds quite powerful. Yeah, these things are always easy and powerful when business is good. They become much harder when business isn't good. Mm, absolutely. And and kind of, I guess, to round off, how do you support yourself? How do you look after yourself as a someone running a busy business, children, other pressures? Um, it's a really good question. And you said you were very resilient. Yeah but I think probably that's accidental rather than intentional. So for me, I run a business and yeah, I have three kids and I have all, you know, all the fun and games of being a single parent who has their kids half the time. So it never really stops, but that's kind of how I like it. I don't tend to stop and worry too much about looking after myself. But having said that, I think I do a reasonable job. So I have I have a kind of, you know, a mini sort of exercise regime I follow every day. I get up, I tend to be someone who gets up early in the morning, so I tend to get up between five and six and go outside and do my do my mini routine. I love my pull-up bar. I tend to eat well, so I stopped eating meat two or three years ago for environmental reasons as much as anything. Um, and I think that completely accidentally gave me a, an interest in nutrition that I'd never had before. Once I actually had to start thinking about what I was cooking. So I think generally I do a good job of looking after myself physically and then mentally I surround myself with really really inspirational people who are just much better than me in lots and lots and lots of ways so I always have people to to live up to 
and to look up to, I guess. So I don't find any of that stuff too hard. Like I don't find looking after myself too hard. And I don't suppose I'm the best at it. I don't have the best routines, the best diet and all the rest, but I'm, I'm pretty good. And it seems to stand me in good stead. I, I do think it's important actually. You know, and I think it's, again, we talked about millennials early on, didn't we? I think, I think this is the sort of thing that people of that age understand much more naturally than people of my generation do. I think we have to work at it a bit and figure it out. But actually that's, it's been a really, it's been one of the most interesting learning areas of in the last probably five years, hasn't it? Learning stuff about nutrition and physical health that we were just never taught mm. before. I think we were just taught to stay alive probably and that was yeah, it. Yeah, just to survive and do well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I'd say that's a work in progress looking after myself. Mm. Wonderful. And it sounds like those great people are surrounded personal and professional life. That's what you're you're doing, bringing great great people around around you. Yeah, I think I think that's really important, isn't it? Um I mean that you get that from so many people talking about successful businesses or successful individuals. It's it's all about who you surround yourself with, isn't it? You learn from people, you get inspired by people. And I think you need people who well, I certainly need people who I feel like I have to live up to as well. Like I think I'm one of those people who always feels like they're trying to prove themselves to the world at large. Um, it always makes me laugh when you hear famous... You'll hear someone like... I'm making this bit up. You'll hear someone like Usain Bolt say, to all the people who never believed I could do it. And you always think, I can't imagine anyone ever telling Usain Bolt he couldn't do it. But they don't, I don't think these people mean it literally. They just... They have in their, in their mind the, the whatever, you know, the girls who didn't want to go out with them or the people who... The guy at McDonald's who didn't give them a job or whatever it was. And you build up, I think, this sense of these people who don't believe in you. And you, you use that to motivate yourself as you go on. And that's, that's quite important to me. But yeah, in a more positive sense, I think surrounding yourself with people who you're always learning off, who, who ask you annoying questions, really difficult questions. Mm. You really get a sense of that speak up culture. Yeah, it's, it's very 2020, isn't it? You've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Kieran. He's really inspired me with his organic approach on my visit to Cambridge. If you did, I'd love it if you would leave us a rating or a review for this podcast. I've been Ruth Renger, and I'm founder of Mindful Pathway. We help CEOs and senior leaders create the space they need to step back, think and succeed through coaching and training. You can check us out at mindfulpathway.co.uk.